Well, good morning. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Mark, and I serve as one of the pastors here. And I don't know about you, but I'm a worrier. I'm a worrier. I remember being a kid, uh, getting ready to go to school, worried uh, at the beginning of a new school, worried that my teacher might not like me. You know, I'm a, I'm a people pleaser. And so one of my greatest fears in grade school was getting into trouble. I worried about that. I remember in junior high being worried that my classmates would make fun of me or not include me because I didn't wear the brand name clothing and shoes that all the cool kids had. I remember in high school being worried about getting good grades so that I could get into college. And then college hit. And I remember as a university student, the anxiety hit even harder as the big questions of life began to loom large in my mind. What on earth am I going to do when I graduate? Did I choose the right major? Who am I going to marry? When is she going to show up? Will I even be able to get a date driving a car that my dad bought for $600 off of somebody's grandmother? (laughs) I distinctly remember laying on my top bunk in a dorm room at a university in the middle of cornfields in Ohio, and all these questions were racing through my mind, and I broke out in in a cold sweat. A wave of nausea hit me. This anxiety in my stomach in knots, just thinking about all of these things, unable to fall asleep against the backdrop of the melodic sounds of my roommate's snores on the bunk beneath me. He was a music major. (laughs) I remember worrying as a grad student, getting my master's degree in theology, wondering if I had made the right career choice, wondering if I had made the right decision to go to seminary instead of using my academic credentials and my undergrad biology pre-med degree to go on to medical school. I worried whether or not I would be able to support a family, support a wife on a ministry salary. And then God would gently remind me, Mark, you don't have a wife and you don't have a family which instead of bringing me comfort, would only get me worried again about who am I going to marry? When is she going to show up? Will I even be able to get a date on a male-dominated date potential wasteland of a seminary campus while driving a $600 car? I was a mess. You know, fast forward a few years, and I remember worrying as a newlywed, living out west on on the west coast near Seattle, making a whopping $21,000 a year as a youth pastor, wondering about whether Meredith and I could make ends meet on my income, let alone ever be able to support having kids. Fast forward a few more years, I remember as a new parent, holding a newborn daughter named Ellie in my arms. Sorry, I didn't tend to get emotional about that, but... Worrying about providing for her. Worrying whether I could take care of her or not. Worrying about her health, about protecting her. Worrying if I had what it took to be a good dad. Worrying about whether I'd ever be able to afford to send her to college. And she's just this little, and I'm worrying about that. Fast forward 20 years. Ellie's now in college. So is Mia, my second daughter. They're both back visiting this weekend. Ellie brought a couple of her college friends home uh, from Arkansas with her. 
And so as I was preparing my message this week, I got a little anxious, knowing that Ellie was bringing some friends. I worried about whether or not my sermon would be good enough to impress her friends and make Ellie proud of me as her dad. I know it's silly. I shouldn't worry about that. But I'm just being honest with you. This is what goes on in my heart as a worrier. And what I've learned over the years is that worry is not my friend. On the contrary, it's my enemy. It's an enemy that robs me of peace, steals my joy, and entraps me in a prison of fear, worrying about a past I can't change and a future that I can't control. Can you relate with that prison? If you can, my pastoral prayer for you today is that you'll find freedom and peace and encouragement and comfort and help today from the words of Jesus as we continue our sermon series through the Sermon on the Mount. And we examine together today the next section in Jesus' sermon where he directly addresses the topic of anxiety. And as we begin today, I want you to imagine with me that you're on that hillside. This picture on the slide behind me is actually taken from the location where they believe the Sermon on the Mount happened. Overlooking the Sea of Galilee, which is just a big lake actually, on a hillside. I want you to imagine with me that you're there in the crowd hearing Jesus speak. You've just heard him give some financial advice telling you not to store up for yourselves treasures on earth where rust and moth destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but to instead store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. The implication being give generously out of your earthly resources. Treasure God and use money rather than the other way around. Rather than treasuring money, you're just using God. Because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where you place your wealth is where you point your worship. What you look for becomes what you long for. What you long for becomes what you live for. And what you live for becomes your Lord. And you cannot serve both God and money. So give it away generously. Okay, Jesus, I hear you. I hear you. But if I give generously, how am I going to provide for myself? Who's going to take care of me? How am I going to pay the bills? How am I going to put food on the table? Who's going to make sure that I'm okay at the end of the day? If I do what you're saying, Jesus, that puts my well-being at risk. It puts my family's well-being at risk. And that makes me a little nervous. I'm feeling a little anxiety here, Jesus. That's probably what you had been thinking and feeling, hearing Jesus talk about storing up treasures in heaven. And Jesus anticipates that. And knowing what you're thinking, he lovingly responds with words of assurance for anxious hearts. Read verse 25 again with me. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, the body more than clothing? Much like we saw last week, Jesus is going to give us two commands in his passage today. One negative, one positive regarding anxiety. He's going to tell us, do not be anxious in verse 25. He repeats it a couple times through the, narr or through the narrative, but uh, do not be anxious, the negative command. And then he's going to tell us what to do instead down in verse 33, a positive command, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. We'll talk more about what that means in a bit. But these two commands work together to form a prescription of sorts for anxiety. 
So if Jesus was wearing his financial advisor hat last week, well, he's putting on his mental health professional hat this week. And he's giving us a three-part prescription to help us alleviate not only the symptoms of our anxiety, but to get to the root of it as well. Do not be anxious, Jesus advises here. Is not life more than food, the body more than clothing? Your life is so much more valuable than stuff. Do you know how valuable you are to God? As a human being, you're the pinnacle of God's creation in a God-sustained, God-filled, God-watched, God-loved, God-kept universe. So don't worry, because your valuable life is perfectly safe in the hands of a loving Heavenly Father, now and forever. Where do we get that? Look at verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather in barns, and yet your, what? Heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more val- of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? I want you to first observe the language Jesus use here, uses here to address God. What is it? How'd you say it? Heavenly Father. Heavenly Father. Now, if you're taking notes today, here's the first part of the prescription from Dr. Jesus to combat anxiety. Remember your Father. Say that out loud with me. Remember your father. Remember whose you are. I'm not sure if I ever fully understood the fatherhood of God until I, and how God feels about me and how God feels about you until I held my firstborn, Ellie, in my arms. The sense of love that I had for that little seven-pound, six-ounce bundle was off the charts. I had this overwhelming desire to provide for her, to protect her, to care for her every need. And those intense feelings were repeated another two times with the arrival of Mia, with the arrival of Emma, as I held them in my arms. And it occurred to me as I held each one of them that God feels the same way towards me. God feels the same way about you. Because we're his children. If I, as an imperfect father, feel this way and act upon it, how much more does God, as our perfect heavenly father, feel and exhibit unadulterated love and care for his kids? I don't know if you've seen the look on Levi Scott's face the past couple weeks as he's walked around here with his newborn daughter, Olivia. It's a pretty incredible look at. God looks at you like Levi looks at Olivia. (laughs) Just so proud. Wanted to care for that little bundle. So in the midst of our anxiety, Jesus beckons us to remember the fatherhood of God. And with this, he pairs two lesser than to greater than arguments involving birds and flowers. If this lesser reality is true, this greater reality certainly is true. Have you seen birds lately? Jesus asks, look at them, consider them, reflect on them. They're not farming, they don't have pantries, they don't stockpile supplies, they're not trading birdseed commodity futures on the markets. Yes, they're hard at work, yes, they're diligent, but they're not stressed, they're not frantic, they're not worried. Look at how your heavenly father cares for them, these seemingly insignificant birds, he feeds them, provides for them, watches over them. Here's a little worm, here's a little seed. Just in time, just enough, daily bread or daily bird seed. 
God's loving care and provision for the birds is the lesser reality. And if he cares for them, how much more valuable are you to him? How much more is God interested in providing actively for you? Yes, the birds are some of God's creatures, but they aren't made in God's image like you are. You are a priceless image bearer of a God, in a God-sustained universe. Verse 28. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these, the richest king in the Old Testament. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you have little faith. Have you seen flowers lately? Jesus asks. Look at them, consider them, reflect on them. Look at how God lavishes flowers with such beauty and vibrance. The best dressed people with all their fashion forward ideas, with all of their custom tailored outfits strutting down the red carpet have nothing in comparison with the beauty of a simple lily in a field. Just growing wild, unnoticed, unattended by Everyone, everyone that is, except God. And think about it. If he lavishes such attention and adornment on a plant that's here for just a little bit and then is gone tomorrow, how much more will he attend to and adorn us, his children, who are built to last forever? If he cares for the flowers of the field, lesser reality. How much more, greater reality, Will he care for you? Will he care for me as immortal beings designed to be clothed with radiance in his presence forever? We have an eternal life that awaits us because we have an eternal heavenly father who loves us. Let that sink in, Jesus says. Let that sink in. Are you worried? Are you anxious? You have a heavenly father that has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Remember your father. Remember whose you are. Your sons and daughters of the God of the universe. Remember your father. Secondly, redirect your focus. Jesus is now giving us part two of his three-part prescription to combat anxiety. Let's read on verse 31 where this comes to light. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Instead of getting caught up and worrying about what unbelievers typically worry about, Jesus encourages us here to redirect the entire focus of our lives. Seek first his kingdom. Seek first his righteousness. And this is where Dr. Jesus gets to the root cause of worry. He's not interested in just treating the symptoms. He knows that a a true cure needs to go to the heart of the problem because anxiety is a problem of the heart. Think about this with me for a second. What is at the root of of ang- or at least most anxiety in our lives. 
We worry about our finances. We worry about our appearance. We worry about our reputations. We worry about our health, our grades, our jobs, our relationships, our lack of relationships. We worry about our kids. We worry about our parents. I could go on, but you get the point. But why do we worry? Why? We need to ask that question. Because we're often looking primarily to these things that I just listed, instead of looking primarily to our Heavenly Father to bring us security or significance that all of our hearts long for. We are created by God with those longings, but where were we meant to find them met? In God. We were created by God to direct our worship to him and let him fill our longings for both security and significance. And Jesus knows that misdirected worship is at the heart of our issues with anxiety. Because in the brokenness of our hearts in a broken world, we tend to seek after both security and significance apart from God. We seek them in the created rather than the creator. We look to our bank accounts. We look to our popularity, our vocational success, our athletic prowess, our academic achievements, our social media followings, our physical fitness, our kids' successes. And we try desperately to squeeze security and significance out of these things that were never ultimately meant to give us either. Another name for this is idolatry. So here's the truth that Jesus wants us to grasp here. Here's the root cause of worry. Would you say this out loud with me? Go ahead and put that up. There it is. Say this out loud. Root cause of worry. Seeking security in things that are eternally secure and seeking significance in things that aren't eternally significant. Misdirected trust is the root cause of anxiety. Worry sprouts from misplaced worship. So seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, Jesus tells us. That's the antidote. That gets to the root of the problem, which is a problem of our hearts, Well, what does that mean, Jesus? What does it mean to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness? Well, I'm glad you asked. Sometimes things are best defined by their opposites. So let me ask you this. What would be the opposite of seeking God's kingdom? What would be the opposite of seeking God's kingdom? Well, it would be seeking our own kingdom, right? An illustration of this is the parable of the rich fool that we referenced last week. Remember that guy in Luke chapter 12 who has a bumper crop? He doesn't know where to store it all. And he says, I'll build bigger barns. Then I'll store up all my grain and my goods and I'll have more than enough and I'll be able to take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. He just thinks about himself and God calls him a fool. You know, that was an agrarian society. We don't have barns. We have bank accounts. The opposite of seeking his kingdom is seeking our little kingdoms by amassing things for ourselves and our own security. As Americans, we're really, really good at this. Our culture encourages it. So kingdom seeking is all about where we're seeking security. And seeking his kingdom is finding the primary source of our security in God and his coming kingdom. 
And when we do that, it looks like giving away resources to further the reach of the gospel rather than accumulating resources for ourselves to pad our portfolios. We talked about that last week. If you missed that, I encourage you, go back, listen to it on our podcast or YouTube channel. Kingdom seeking looks like giving away resources to further the reach of the gospel, to further God's kingdom, rather than accumulating resources to pad our portfolios, to build our kingdoms on earth. I love how Warren Wiersbe put it and shed light on this when he said, to pray your kingdom come automatically means my kingdom go. I love that. To pray your kingdom come automatically means my kingdom go. Now, if kingdom seeking is all about security, righteousness seeking is all about significance. Jesus encourages us to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. What then would be the opposite of seeking his righteousness? It's not rhetorical. You can talk to me. What's that? Seeking our own. It would be making your own reputation, your own significance, your own status, your primary pursuit in life. It would be wrapping your life around promotions and popularity and power. It looks like doing acts of righteousness before others to be seen by them. Preaching a good sermon so Ellie's friends are impressed. Seeking to build up your own reputation and your own self-righteousness. We all do it. But seeking first his righteousness is turning to Jesus as a source of all of our righteousness. It's coming humbly to him, swallowing our pride, acknowledging our brokenness, receiving his righteousness as a gift, and then wrapping our lives around making him known rather than making ourselves known. It's following Jesus rather than amassing followers. It's exalting God with our lives instead of promoting ourselves. So to get to the root of what's causing anxiety in our lives, Jesus prescribes a redirection of our worship. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things, all these things that the world chases after, they'll be added to you as well. All these things that you're worried about falling in, all all these things that you're worried about will fall into their proper place when you put God and his kingdom first. When you worship rightly. To quote C.S. Lewis as he pondered these words from Jesus, if you aim at heaven, you'll get earth thrown in. But if you aim at earth, you'll get neither. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things that the world worries about will be added to you. God's going to take care of you. That's small stuff. Aim at earth and all you'll get is heartburn from seeking security in something that isn't eternally secure or seeking significance in something that isn't eternally significant. You know, some of you know that Meredith and I own a 17-year-old Audi convertible that we picked up fairly cheap from someone's grandmother. So you can see my ownership in cars has not changed much since I was in college. Um... Now, this one was $6,000 rather than $600, but um, it's, gotten a, it's gotten a little bit nicer. But anyway, one of the joy-sucking um, features of owning a 17-year-old Audi is this little light that comes on to the dashboard quite frequently. 
You know, it has a little engine and blinks at you. You know, the, the check engine light. And that light flashes to let me know, let Meredith know, hey, something is amiss under the hood. Again. <laughs> something is going wrong and it needs attention. And although I'm often tempted to ignore this little warning light on the dash, just hoping that it goes away and cures itself, I know that if I do that, it's probably just going to make matters worse. It's probably just going to make the repair bill bigger. My friends, anxiety is the check engine light of life. You know, with the exception of some forms of clinical anxiety, which um, are often outside of our control, you know, chemical imbalances, things like that. When anxiety, normal anxiety, just wor everyday worries, pop up on the dashboard of your life, it's there to warn you that something is amiss underneath the hood. Something is amiss in the heart. Something has gone wrong with your worship. It needs attention. Anxiety is there to alert you that you're probably seeking security in something that isn't eternally secure and seeking significance in something that isn't eternally significant, or both. And so the prescription for anxiety from Dr. Jesus is, first of all, remember your father. He loves you. He will provide for you. Trust him. He's got this. He's got you in his arms, like Levi has Olivia. Rest. Secondly, redirect your focus. Seek first his kingdom, his righteousness. Reorient your worship. Change where you're looking for security and significance. You're made to find both of those in God and in God alone. And he alone is where you'll find them. And finally, relinquish your future. Relinquish your future. You can't control tomorrow. God's given you just enough grace for today, so live in the present rather than worrying about the future. We see this advice from Jesus in verse 34. Read this with me. How about we read it out loud together? Here we go. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Every day has just enough trouble and just enough grace to meet it. What is God's revealed name in Scripture? Or how is it translated into English? I am. I am. He doesn't call himself I will be. He doesn't call himself I was. He calls himself I am. And I just wonder if part of why he calls himself I am is that he wants us to know that he's here with us in the present. I am. I am here. I am present. I am with you. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. I'm right here. I will keep you. I will sustain you. I will hold you. I will preserve you. Don't worry about tomorrow. Stay right here. Stay with me. I've got this. I am. And you are mine. Remember your father. Redirect your focus. Relinquish your future. You can't control it. Let God handle it. As the band makes their way back to stage, 
I'd like for you to do something. I don't often ask you to do stuff in response to a sermon, but I'm going to today, and many of you are starting to get anxious. Do not be anxious. <laughs> I want you to simply hold out your hands in front of you like this. Hold out your hands in front of you like this. Then close your eyes now. Bow your heads. I want you to think about what is causing you the most anxiety and worry in life. Get a mental picture of it. And picture placing whatever that is in your outstretched open hands. Would you put it there? As if you're handing it over to Jesus. You're handing it over to your heavenly Father. Saying, God, I've been carrying this. It's been weighing me down. It's been causing me anxiety. I know I can't control it. I know I can't change the past. I know I can't control the future. Here it is. And I'm handing it to you. And as you mentally picture handing that to Jesus, I'm going to read some words of scripture over you. And I want you to let these words wash over your hearts. These, my friends, are the words of your creator, the one who made you, the one who holds you in his arms as his beloved child, the one who loves you more than you can imagine. Let not your heart be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. My kingdom is coming. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. My God will supply every need according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And we know that in all things, God works together for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. Cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Oh, Father, we hear these words from your word. And yet so often, we take what only you can handle and we try to handle it. We try to change our past and control our future, and we get trapped in this prison of worry and anxiety, seeking security in something that isn't secure, or significance in something that isn't significant. Lord, help us to rightly 
attune our hearts towards you, knowing that we were meant to worship you and you alone, knowing that you are the true source of both of those things. You are the only one that can meet our longings for security. You're the only one who can meet our longings for significance. You're the only one who can satisfy us on a soul level. Thank you for these words of Jesus, inviting us to let these things go that we've placed in our hands. Inviting us to hand them to you, our heavenly Father, who cares for the, feeds the birds, who clothes the flowers of the field. We're here today and gone tomorrow. Help us to know how much we're worth to you. And that you have moved heaven and earth literally (laughs) to make us yours. And as the world rages with wars and tragedy and death and injustice, calm our hearts, knowing that your kingdom is coming, knowing that your will will be done on earth as it is in heaven, and knowing that the temporary troubles that we all walk through in this life will one day come to an end when King Jesus is on the throne again. Lord, we long for that day. Help us to be representatives of your peace as we wait. We pray for peace. We ask that you help us be agents of it as we take our anxieties and we cast them upon you because you care for us. Guard us with your peace, we pray. And may your kingdom come. And may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And may that day come soon.